without further ado, I want to invite Pastor uh, Vernella, but there's something I want to say real quick. And how many of you guys love, love, love Pastor Vernell? We love him. As he's coming this morning, let's stand. This week was his 75th birthday. So happy birthday, Pastor Vernell. We love you. Here's a birthday card from the church. And uh, just, we love you so much. Happy birthday. 75's a pretty momentous birthday. So on that note, I turn it over to him. <laughs> Thank you. Now that I'm depressed, we'll be... <laughs> Yeah, that, that is a big birthday. I told the people Wednesday night, uh, went out with the family Tuesday night and celebrated a little bit. And my uh, one of my granddaughters who just turned 14, she just looked at me and the first thing she said, you're three quarters of a century old. So anyway, the Lord is good. <laughs> Even at 75, I still don't believe it at times. It uh, just... It just doesn't compute. But you know what? I serve an eternal God. He's older than me. <laughs> Amen. The Lord is good. Amen. And appreciate uh, your worship this morning. Boy, what an awesome presence of the Lord that we have experienced as we, uh, there's just something special about gathering together corporately and in one mind and one accord, focusing only on giving to the Lord the glory and worship that is due His name. I like what, well, I forget who it was said it. He said, worship is basically loving God back. Uh, even my worship does not originate with me. Our worship really is reciprocal. It's basically returning what he's given me. My worship doesn't even originate with me because it comes. How many knows God initiates it? Amen. The divine initiative. And he, he is a giver. Amen. And so we give back in our worship. Well, uh, we are looking forward to tonight to Pastor Doug ministering. And as Pastor Doug said, I always look forward to uh, Pastor Doug uh, ministering. And, of course, we're looking forward to having Pastor Josh back in a couple of weeks or so. And we're so glad that they've been able to get away. Uh, as you know, this month we have been ministering from the book of Joshua. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll get open it up to Joshua, and we'll get into the Scriptures here in just a little bit. This morning we want to minister along the thought, crossing over. The call to Canaan, crossing over. Now at this point, we're going to begin in Joshua chapter 2. But at this point, uh, they are now, the children of Israel, have finally reached the Jordan River to go over and to possess the land that God had promised them and has assured Joshua in chapter 1 that he's already given them the land. And so they are at the Jordan. They're getting ready to cross over, but we need to understand that it's been 40 years 
There is a previous generation that is buried back in the wilderness because of unbelief. They failed to enter the land because of their unbelief. But now here they are, the children of those who failed to enter. And they are now preparing to cross over into the promised land. Now, ever since they left Egypt and God delivered them with a mighty hand from Egypt, the Israelites had not been required at all to take the initiative or take the lead. They basically, God took the initiative because there was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So all they did was follow the lead of God. Now, very important, now that they are ready to possess the land, it, the responsibility now transfers to them, and they must take the initiative. Now it's important that they cross over. Now it's important that they drive out the inhabitants of the land. We need to understand that Canaan's land, as we said last week, uh, Canaan's land was inhabited by seven vile, immoral, corrupt nations. And God was giving them the promised land for two reasons. First of all, because it was the promise he gave many years ago to their ancestor, Abraham, where he said, I'm not only going to give you posterity, I'm going to give you property. Now it's time to take it. So, first of all, he gives them the promised land because of the promise given to Abraham. Secondly, he gives them the land because it's going to become the holy land. And before it can become the holy land, God has the purge, the land of the evil and vileness and immorality. So that in Numbers chapter 33, it states God clearly tells them they're to drive out, they're to dispossess, and they are to defeat. They are not to mix it up with these people. They are to drive them out. How many knows that in our spiritual walk, we're not called to compromise. We're called to drive out. The Bible says in more than one place, and James in particular says, to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God or hostile toward God. The world does not refer to the inhabitants of the world, but it refers to the current age, the spirit of the world. The spirit of the age is always in opposition to who God is and what he stands for. So now they are to take the initiative to drive out the idolatrous nations. The offense was now theirs. May I say in our lives spiritually, there comes a point in our lives and in the life of a church that a crossing must take place. Glory. Glory number one. No, we cross from the wilderness. The wilderness of what? The wilderness of our past. 
the wilderness of complacency, the wilderness of carnal living, the wilderness of mediocrity, the wilderness of religious smugness, the wilderness of spiritual apathy, the wilderness of an unaffected and unchanged life. Why? So that we can now cross over into the promised land. The promised land of spiritual vitality. The promised land of realizing and experiencing God's word as a reality in my life. The promised land of spiritual maturity. The promised land of a spirit-filled life. The promised land of abundant living. For Jesus said, I have not come that you might have life, but life more abundantly or literally in overflow. It's the idea of the promised land of spiritual transformation. The promised land of walking in our God-given destiny and purpose. May I say this morning, dear Christ Point Church, it's time to cross over. Glory. So let's look at this this morning, Joshua chapter 2. And I believe I gave, uh, Ronnie, I gave uh, verses 11 and verse 24, but can you back it up to verse 9? The context of chapter 2, we all know the story, where Rahab hides the two spies that Israel had sent into Jericho, and she hides them. And I love what she tells these two uh Spies, beginning in verse 9. Now, this is Rahab speaking to the two spies. So, stay with me. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I love this next part. That the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted, Because of you. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. And neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God. Now this is Rahab speaking. A Canaanite. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Skip down to verse 24. Go ahead and go to verse 24. And they said to Joshua when the two spies returned. Truly. The Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. What a glorious report. Note, the report there. The, first of all, the intimidating power of God. The report had preceded them before they even crossed over the Jordan. May I say, when God shows up, rumors spread. 
You don't have to bang the drums and blow the trumpets. People will turn out because God is on the move. And God shows up when his name is glorified. The enemy here was actually intimidated. The scripture says their hearts melted. They lost all courage. I love this. In reality, the fight was already over. Hallelujah. I've said for the past couple of weeks, we're in a fight. Yes, we're in war spiritually. And if you don't believe that or not aware of that, you're going to get shot. (laughs) But the good news is, again, it is a fixed fight. Jesus won it all over 2,000 years ago upon the cross. And on top of that, after he died on the cross, he marched in to hell and got the keys of death, hell and the grave and stripped Satan of all authority. That's why Peter said he's as a roaring lion. He is not a lion. He makes a lot of noise, but he's not the real lion. The real lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he wins. Glory. I might do a pastor's dance here this morning. But I can't dance like he does. I'm, I'm too old. <laughs> so the enemy was intimidated, but the people of God were encouraged. When we live in obedience, we will witness the power and the glory of God in our lives. And when we witness the power and glory of God in our lives, it will inspire us to believe and reach for even more spiritually. We will get to a place where we trust God implicitly. Glory. It's the idea that it instigates and inspires even more of a drive to follow the Lord. Now, if that drive's not there, that there's a good possibility you're not plugged in. And we need to get plugged in. Secondly, not only the intimidating power of God, but the need for sanctification. Joshua chapter 3. We're going to look at the first five verses. And let me say, now, here's the part the people of God must play. In other words, here comes our responsibility. I said a few moments ago that until this time, Israel did not have to take the initiative. They didn't have to take the lead. God took the lead. God took the initiative. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, and when it stopped, They stopped and camped. When it moved, they packed up and they moved and followed. But now there is a new day dawning. And note, Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was, after three days, that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, 
When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know that the way by which you must go, and underscore this, for you have not passed this way before. Verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now Israel is in what you might call a position of faith. Imagine, think of it. Some two million people, belongings, cattle, etc., must now cross the Jordan River. That right there alone is almost too much to think of. The enormity of the task seemed impossible. But yet they were brought into a place and a position in order to make the crossing. They were, Joshua said from the words of the Lord, they were now for three days before they cross over, they were to sanctify themselves, position themselves personally as well as a people, not just a people group, but individually now, they must prepare their hearts for what? To see the mighty move of God. This position, may I say, is a wonderful place to be in because it represents a wonderful opportunity to exercise complete trust in God. And that's exactly where God wants us. There is a question that God repeats to you and I every single day, and it's simply this, will you trust me? It's not God's will that we know. We want to know. We want to get it all figured out. We want the details. But God, you know what? Only God is all-knowing. He alone is omniscient. And since God is all-knowing, He is omniscient, our responsibility is simply to trust Him. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next week holds. I don't know how I'm going to get through this current situation. Some of you are facing that. But I can assure you this morning, without hesitation and without doubt, your God already knows the only thing He's calling for us to do right now is will you trust me and if you will trust me you will experience my peace and you will see my hand move glory that's where Israel was what an exciting place to be to obey and witness his glory faith in God is evidenced by obedience only then does God show up So they were told to sanctify themselves for three days. Again, think of it. Two million people got across the river. Uh, They had no idea how this was going to be pulled off. 
How could they get across? Very simple. You learn in the Christian life experience, there used to be a whole song called One Day at a Time. One day at a time. Anybody remember that song? Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah, don't get me started. Uh, one day at a, you know what? It's one step at a time. One step at a time, sweet Jesus. Glory. Their duty was simply to obey and get in position and leave the rest. <laughs> the Jordan wasn't their problem. That was God's arena. We get distracted in our Christian life with the hows. We get distracted with the whys. But God wants us to prepare for fulfillment. So Joshua calls them for three days of sanctification and repentance. Sanctification is the idea that I am now going to prepare my heart. I'm going to cut away and separate from me all the excesses that don't matter. In heart, mind, and spirit. Anything that would distract or detract my attention and affection from the Lord Almighty for three days we're going to separate ourselves from all that distraction separation means that we are preparing ourselves to witness the glory and power of almighty God there are people who want to witness and experience the power and glory of God but have no desire to separate themselves they haven't sanctified themselves sanctification prepares us to experience victory in our lives that we've been longing for all along. Glory. That longing is there because of God's Spirit is within you. That doesn't even originate with me. That's because God's Spirit dwells within. And why wouldn't God fulfill that even now? Maybe we need to ask ourselves sometime, why do we live way below the victory line in our lives. They have finally arrived. They're at the Jordan. <laughs> this is why they left Egypt. They are on the brink. Of experiencing. God's promise. After well over 450 years. When God first spoke that to Abraham, they were on the brink of fulfillment of the promises of God. May I say to you this morning, there are promises that God has placed in your life, and sometimes we get to a point, is it ever going to happen? Lord, are you really there? It's been so long, but since God inhabits eternity, and one day is as a thousand years, may I say, keep trusting God. Keep believing God today. Keep praying today. Put one foot in front of the other. Keep moving. Because we never know when God will reveal himself and we step into our promised land and inheritance. So it's the idea that we step forward. This is why they left Egypt. And he sa that's why he said, you have never passed this way before. This is uncharted territory. Uh -oh. Boy, this, 
this is almost like sausage. It just keeps growing the more you chew. I don't. It's not God's will for you to be experiencing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's not God's will for us to keep tramping around the same old territory and the same ground. Well, bless God, brother, and I've been saved for 60 years. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, yeah, there's a difference between planting a tree and a post. Yeah, and you've experienced the same thing for 60 years. In God's eyes, it's not how long you've been saved. It's what's going on in your relationship that matters, that makes a difference. So, very important. This was unfamiliar territory. To enter the promised land, they must leave the familiar behind. If we're going to experience the promise and inheritance of God, it's not going to be the same old, same old territory. It's going to be territory we've never traversed before. And God is calling us to leave the familiar behind. One of the joys of the Christian life experience is the joy of discovery. God has so much more than we're experiencing. And yet we settle for where we're at. God says, no, kick the walls out and keep moving. Glory. Wow. Preach, brother. So look at the clear command of God. Joshua chapter 3. Verses 6 through 8, the clear command of God. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Note the clear command of God. Now, there's three elements I want to bring out from this text. First of all, first element, obviously, is the river, Jordan. The Jordan physically and naturally barred their entrance to Canaan. It was a major obstacle because the scripture clearly describes at that time of the year, not only do they have to cross the river, but it's at flood stage for crying out loud. I love it. The people for three days are staring at this natural boundary at flood stage. It looked naturally impossible. And you know what? Naturally, it was impossible. Naturally, it was insurmountable. I ask you this morning, what are you staring at right now that seems impossible 
to cross. God waited for the conditions to be right for him and not me. Let me run that by again. The river's at flood stage, and they've got to cross it. What is God doing? He's waiting for the right time for himself, not you. He doesn't need your analysis. And I've said this again and again. God's command doesn't need analysis. It needs obedience. And so God waited for the right time for him and not the people. We become then impressed with our own powerlessness. As they're staring at this river for three days, at flood stage, they are certainly realizing how impossible this situation is. That great barrier to your promised land What looks impossible, may I say, God is simply preparing your heart for a miracle so that when it's over, I don't get the glory, He gets the glory. And what has He done? He has magnified His name in my life. And I praise and worship Him and my faith grows stronger. Why? Because I trusted Him to begin with. No matter that the Jordan's at flood stage. Get ready. Glory. Look at verse 8 again. Verse 8. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So we looked at, first of all, the river. Now I want us to look at the Ark. Uh, The Ark. Or, I'm sorry, the command in verse 8. We're looking at the river, the command, the Ark. Secondly, the the command. What does he say? Stand in the river. Now circumstances had not changed. The priests were commanded to get in the water, step into the water. It was still at flood stage. The river did not dry up. It took a step of faith to walk in to the river. God didn't stop the waters. Again, this was a military disaster in the making. Remember, the, the, the country, the land is filled with enemies. And here are two million people slowly plodding across the Jordan River. You might say, no pun intended, they were sitting ducks. Well, I thought it was funny. I didn't. I shared that with Jared a while ago. He goes, well, Dad, your humor is your humor. (laughs) Again, God requires obedience, not analysis of the situation. They had been fasting and praying and separating themselves for three days. May I say there comes a time in our life that it's no longer, hear this, It is no longer God's will for you to pray and fast. It is not God's will for you to pray and fast. That's the case here. 
It was no longer his will for them to continue praying and fasting. It was now time to act. (laughs) There comes a time you need to get up off your knees. There comes a time you need to get that plate of food in front of you and gobble her down and step out. Amen? So look at thirdly, the ark. What did the ark represent? Well, the ark represented the power and presence of God. And the priests were to go in front of the people approximately 2,000 cubits, or in our words today, out about a half a mile, they were to go out in front of the people. This becomes very important. The ark was commanded to go... The ark was commanded to go before the people so they could turn, oh, I love this, so they could turn their eyes and gaze off the river onto the ark. In other words, turn their eyes off the problem and the barrier and get their eyes on the presence of Almighty God. So he set them out a half a mile in front of them so they could see. Their eyes were to now turn and see the power of God. In fact, in chapters 3 and 4, the ark is mentioned approximately 21 times, which represents the presence of God. So the ark advances and could be readily seen by the whole multitude. God. God now becomes their commander and chief. He takes the lead. Christ is our leader. Christ is our example. He has gone before us. He is the author and finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation. And you know what? We're simply to follow his lead and follow in his steps. Christ must have preeminence in our lives. He is superior. The distance of the ark from the people implies a reverential awe and honor of the presence of Almighty God. When we experience victory, there is restored in our hearts and in our minds. I love this service this morning. There comes a new and a fresh reverential awe of God. We never lose that. We need to be careful that God and the things of God does not become so common in our life that we no longer fear. Now, when I say fear, I'm not talking about chewing the fingernails and wearing a hole in your carpet. I'm talking about a reverential awe and a humility before El Shaddai, God Almighty. Look at chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Last of all then, the miraculous results. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Okay. So it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark come to the Jordan... And the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped 
in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during this whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off. Are you following this this morning? Trust and obey. I said a moment ago, the time for prayer and fasting is over. Now it was time to put your foot in the water at flood stage and obey the command of God. The water would not roll back before they obeyed. (laughs) I mean, it's almost as if, okay, Lord, here it goes. Do you ever feel like that? It's okay, Lord, I'm going to obey. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't see how it's going to happen. Here we go. You know what? If you have to cover your eyes, cover your eyes and step forward for crying out loud. And you might be surprised. Your foot won't get wet, but you'll feet dry sod under the sole of your foot. And you'll realize you obeyed and God performed. Hallelujah. Anybody out there this morning? (laughs) The water would not roll back before they obeyed. How many times do we bargain with God? Uh, Lord, if you roll back the water, I'll, I'll cross. No, God is saying cross now. This is the idea that he is calling me to move out of mediocrity. Pastor Sean, would you come and... Let's have some soft worship music this morning as we come to a close. God wants us to move out of mediocrity. God wants us to move out of the same-o, same-o. I'm believing God. I don't care what's going around us in our world today, and it seems like it's getting worse. But you know what? My God is the eternal same. This isn't something new. Every generation of Christians all through church history has faced some of the very same things we're experiencing today. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, as far as the situation, even in our country, the situation's going to get worse. There's going to be a point where Christians are going to experience not only persecution, but prosecution. And you... Jesus said, if you are my followers, the world's just going to fall in love with you. No, he didn't. He said, if the world has hated me, they're going to hate you. So don't be surprised at the response. It's almost every day I read in the news and I read my news every day, there's something else that involves a Christian. There's something else that involves what a church or something has done and there's prosecution and the media is attacking it. You know what? We're in a generation of people whom Hebrews chapter 11 said the world was not worthy of this company. You and I are part of a company of believers down through time who's experienced this before. But God still says, step into the water. Obey. It's not the same old run-of-the-mill Christian experience. 
man's impossibility is God's opportunity. Let me say that again. Man's impossibility is God's opportunity. God often waits till it is critical, desperate, before he appears on our behalf. The river was at flood stage. Your troubles may not be full, but your troubles may actually be overflowing. But God's word to you this morning, hear this is, it's time to move out. 